Gracious God, I pray now that as we turn our attention to your scriptures, that you would help us to pay attention to you. God, I pray that as my words line up with your words, that they would fall on ears and hearts, ready to receive them and respond. And God, if I say anything that's not from you, I pray that those words would quickly be forgotten. And I pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Our readings this morning are a little bit action-packed. We've got divorce on one hand, we've got the Antichrist on the other hand. And lest you think that we're ignoring one hard passage at the expense of the other, we looked at this text in Mark this past Wednesday night in our clergy Bible study. We're going to look at the coming one this coming Wednesday. This morning we're going to pay attention to 1 John chapter 2 though. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. You can find it on page 1021 in your pew Bibles. Or, of course, you can Google it. I'd love and encourage you to open up a Bible so you can follow along. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the priests here at Truro, and it's good to be with you this morning, whether you're here in person or online. Last week, Mary preached on the first part of chapter 2, which talks about how we're to live, what we're to do as children of the light. The second part of the chapter, which we're looking at this morning, continues with those themes, And we're going to get there, what we're to do as children of the light, but first, let's name the obvious, the thing that everyone thinks about and talks about when they hear or read 1 John chapter 2, the end times and the Antichrist. We're endlessly fascinated by the end times and the Antichrist. There's a reason the Left Behind book series has sold over 65 million copies, There's a reason the late great planet Earth garnered 17 million viewers when it was featured as a primetime television show. And there's a reason A Thief in the Night, that movie about the end times, is estimated to have been seen over 300 million times. These stories have seeped into our subconscious even, whether we know it or like it or not. The other day, I was having dinner with my cousin, and we're ta- I, I said, well, this Sunday I'm preaching on the Antichrist, and she said, oh, let me tell you my story. She, she was a college student at Taylor University, which is a Christian college in Indiana, and one day she was taking a shower when a tornado warning went off. She didn't hear said tornado shower, uh, warning because she was in the shower. So she gets out, she gets dressed, and she's like, it is awfully quiet, She's looking around. None of her roommates are there. She peeks her head down the hall. Everyone is gone. And my cousin says, Mike, I had this moment where I thought everyone had been raptured in my Christian college and I've been left behind. She's running up and down the halls. Where is is everybody? Finally, she gets outside and there's one other girl walking across the grass thinking the same thing. Where did everybody go? Have we been left behind? The truth of the matter is they were just all in the basement because of, you know, the tornado warning. But there was this moment where she was like, oh my goodness, this is it. My dad grew up in a little cinder block church in far western New York. They used to have specialists come with charts and graphs And they give presentations outlining where we are in the end time story. What was likely to come next. They'd figured it all out. 
what to look for in the Antichrist, taking current events and overlaying them over the Bible, trying to pinpoint exactly what or when end times would come. Endlessly fascinated with the subject. And here we have John right here in verse 18, writing, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. What are we to do with this 2,000 years later? Jesus himself addresses this in Acts chapter 1 when he says, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. For John, everything between the first and the second coming of Christ is the last hour. And as the psalmist writes in Psalm 90, for a thousand years are like a day in your sight. One commentator puts it like this, no matter how long this hour may extend in terms of calendar time, it remains true that the time is near for all of God's promises to be fulfilled. The exact when or how remains a mystery. But this we know to be true and thus declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Look, I've taught Revelation before. I know enough to know that I have no idea I know enough to know what I don't know, and I don't know how the actual end is going to play out. And I would venture even to say that anyone who claims to know doesn't really know. And yet here we are. John says, we're in the end times. The Antichrist has come. In fact, many Antichrists have come. You see that John mentions both the Antichrist, and many Antichrists. And here's what I think we need to understand. For John, an Antichrist is a false teacher, one who opposes the gospel or distorts it or leads others astray, one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Look at it right here with me in verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And so it's not quite as interesting to say that anyone who denies Jesus is the Antichrist as it is to say that there's going to be some glamorous figure in the future. Who's, and may, maybe this is how it's going to work out. I don't know. What John is saying, though, is that anyone who leads others astray is an Antichrist. John was dealing specifically here with false teachers, the type who are attempting to draw the young Christians that John is writing his letter to away from the light and into the darkness. Anyone who does this, who attempts to draw followers of Jesus away from Jesus and into the darkness, they are antichrist. So here's my definition. An antichrist is one who turns you or pulls you away from the love and the lordship of Jesus. I'd take it even a step further and argue that something could be antichrist if it pulls you away from the love and the lordship of Jesus.
And that's what John is dealing with here in chapter two. We saw it last week as well. As he exhorts his audience to pay attention to their life, lest they, in their anger, do you remember that? Or in their love of the world, drift into the darkness. We heard it. Be strong, little children. And today, in the second half of the chapter, John gets at it from a different angle. Here's the question that I think he's answering in our text this morning. How do we resist the influence and deception of that and those which are antichrist? How do we resist the influence and deception of that and those which are antichrist? The end times are endlessly titillating, much more so than the meat and potatoes of resisting the darkness. But the enemy is real, and the darkness is real. And I and you can get sucked into it. Some actively participate in it, knowingly or unknowingly. And some even try to draw others into it. Friends, it is quite possible for me or for you, knowingly or unknowingly, to be pulled into that darkness. Maybe you've experienced it before. It requires an active resistance on our part. And so this morning, I'm going to pull out briefly three things in this text, three ways that we might resist the influence and deception of that and those which are antichrist. And in doing so, resist the pull of the darkness. So let's take a look. Right here, verse 21, John writes, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. You want to resist the influence and deception of that and those which are antichrist? First, you've got to know what you know. You've got to know what you know. I write to you because you know the truth, John writes. If you are in Christ, you are in. You belong. He says right here, you've been anointed by him, set apart and called his own. You know him. You understand. You get it. You see. You have it. I've been trying to think about how to illustrate this, and, and there was something that came to mind earlier this morning. I remember when I was a kid, maybe your mom or dad did this with you, but my mother used to quiz me the day before a test in school. How many of you had parents who used to quiz you? So she'd, she'd pull open the test book and she'd go through and she'd ask me questions, right? And sometimes as she was quizzing me, I would get stumped. And my mother would look at me and she'd say, Michael, you know this. You know this. And I did. It's just in that moment, I'd be flustered or distracted or whatever else. And my mom needed to remind me, Michael, you know it. You know it. And I'd take a deep breath. I do know this. And I'd answer the question. And the next day, I'd go in to take the test. Papers would get handed out. And I'd take a deep breath. See, right, you know this. You've got this. And I can't help but think that that's what John is saying here to this church. Yeah, there's deception all around, darkness, trying to pull you in, false teachers telling you lies. You know this. You've got this. 
It's not that doubt isn't real. It is. It's not that we're never going to have questions. We are, right? But if you're going to resist that and those which are antichrist, you've got to remember who you are. Remember what you know to be true, both in your head and in your heart and in your gut. Now, Mary made a big deal of this last week, that this is a y'all. And it is. This is an instruction both for us as individuals, but also for a church. We've got to know who we are. We've got to know. And no matter what else happens, that Jesus is Lord, he's the Messiah, and we've got to cling to it. Cling to the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who lived and died and rose again to save sinners, and in doing so changed everything. The one who promises he's going to come again. We've got to know it in a way that it captures us and it transforms our vision for all of life. You want to resist the darkness, you got to know it. Second, the second way we might resist the influence of that and those which are antichrist is by confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Look with me at verse 23. John writes, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. There's something about confessing, about declaring something to be true out loud, professing it, making it known publicly, that has power. It's why we invite people to weddings. Because you can make a promise in the quiet corner of a cozy restaurant or in your home. You can commit your life to somebody else. And yet there's something so powerful about making commitments in front of other people, isn't there? About doing it together and making it public. It, it adds gravitas and meaning and accountability. It makes a promise feel like it's for real, for real. You know what I'm saying? Now the context for John is costly persecution. For John's audience, they were suffering. They were experiencing persecution that most of us only read about in books. For them, confessing Christ could have meant the loss of income, could have meant the loss of family or community, it even could have meant death. So it would have been real easy for them to even still participate in the church, but just keep it on the down low. Unlike those who are antichrist, John wants those he is pastoring to declare and profess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It would have been so easy to say one thing and do another. It is still so easy for us to do that today. I remember once a couple years ago, I took my car in to get an oil change and I'm sitting there waiting and somebody else comes and sits down and they kind of wanted to make small talk and and. And so this guy, he asked me, what do you do for a living? Now, the truth is, because of my line of work, I have to go out of my way to avoid conversations about faith. Because you meet someone new and they say, what do you do? And well, there it is. Like, we're having this conversation. It happens all the time. At this point, I was working in campus ministry. I was working on the college campus as a pastor. And this guy sits down and says, what do you do for work? And I hesitated and I said, I work with students at a nonprofit. 
I totally chickened out in that moment. I didn't know this guy. I was never going to see him again. And I had a moment to confess my faith, to declare it publicly to this other guy. And I chickened out. And it was so easy to do. It's so easy for all of us to say one thing and do another. But resisting that in those which are antichrist, it requires living an integrated life where what we say and what we do line up, where we both confess with our mouths and show with our lives that Jesus is Lord. In that moment, I chickened out. Friends, don't be tempted. You're going to be tempted to be wishy-washy or to chicken out. Now, every time someone asks me that question, I remember that moment. I'm like, see, right? This is your chance. You've got it so much easier than most people to actually start a conversation. Go for it. John wants us to go for it, to speak the truth. You know it, he's saying. Don't be afraid to say it. It's a way that you can resist the darkness the pull of those that are antichrist. As Paul writes in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You want to resist the darkness, the influence of the antichrist and antichrists first, you've got to know it. Second, you've got to confess it. And third, and this is the toughest for me, You've got to abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. John writes here in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us. Eternal life. This is one of the main exhortations of John in his letter, and it's an emphasis of his in his gospel account as well. And y'all, this is so hard for me. But if we're to resist the influence and deception of that and those which are antichrist, who would pull us into the darkness and away from the love and the light of Jesus, if we're to grow up in Christ as children of the light, then we must learn to abide in Jesus, to endure to remain, to dwell, to stay put in Christ. I don't know about you, but it is hard for me to stay put anywhere. Anywhere. To slow down and be still without constant stimulation. To resist the flitting from here to there. The constant responding to, to needs with everything being urgent constantly distracted. Our lives are so busy and so noisy. And taking a deep breath and figuring out together how to abide in Jesus when our culture is paced the way that it is, is so hard. But to resist the influence of the darkness and to grow as children of the light, to grow up in Christ, our roots need to sink down deep. Eugene Peterson says it like this. Let the truth sink into your life. If what you heard from the beginning lives deeply in you, you will live deeply in both the Son and the Father. 
And this is exactly what Christ has promised. Eternal life. Real life. When we abide in Jesus, we get a, we get a taste, even now, of that real life. We get a taste of eternal life this side of the second coming. And y'all, we need to learn to abide in Jesus. And we need to learn to do it together. To let his life, or let his truth, sink into our lives together. To nourish it so that we live deeply in both Son and Father. And so that the truth lives deeply in us. We've got to know it. We've got to confess it. And we've got to abide in it. There is so much in this world that is anti-Christ. There's so much that tries to deceive us and in doing so, pull us away from Jesus. Some of it's obvious and some of it is so very subtle. And so we need to pay attention. To use the words of Frederick Beekner. we need to listen to our lives so that we're not deceived. Now, on our own, this sort of task, this listening to our lives so that we're not deceived by the Antichrist, might seem easily overwhelming. It could reduce us to anxiety-ridden hypervigilance or make us susceptible to conspiracy theories or false promises or leave us full of fear or hopelessness regarding the state of the world or even the state of our own lives. Friends, this is not the spirit of Jesus. John writes in the 16th chapter of his gospel, I have overcome the world. Jesus himself says that. And so we need not be afraid of the darkness. We need not be afraid of antichrist. We're apprehensive about end times or fearful about the state of the world. Here's the thing. For the follower of Jesus, the one who has trusted in him, John writes it right here in verse 20. You have been anointed by the Holy One. And then again in verse 27, he repeats himself. The anointing that you have received from Jesus abides in you. Y'all, we need not be afraid. We need to pay attention to our lives for sure. We need to actively resist the darkness. But Jesus has anointed you. He's called us. And he's drawn us into the light and love of life with him. Remember this. Know it. Confess it. Abide in it. And it's this. The anointing of Jesus that makes and will continue to make this possible. It's the anointing of Jesus that makes it possible for you to know him, to confess him, to abide in him, and in doing so, stand firmly in the light against the antichrist and antichrists, actively resisting the darkness. We heard this last week. I'm going to close by reminding us again. John is writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the world. John writes these things because there are people who are trying to deceive us. There is a darkness that's trying to lead us astray. But the anointing of Jesus abides in you. Know it. Confess it. And abide in it. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for this reminder that your son, Jesus, has anointed us. He's chosen us. And I pray, gracious God, that by your spirit, you would make us to be a people who know your son, Jesus, has saved and is saving the world. That we would confess that he is Lord. And that you would make us to be a people who abide in him, even as the truth abides in us. And it's through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.